Good evening. I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. We're going to be finishing up the book of Malachi tonight. Um, and as a reminder, next Wednesday night we will not have Bible study because uh, VBS will be happening next week. So, and also as a reminder, VBS is next week. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be a great time for all the kids. And be praying, parents, for your kids um, and for the other kids there. Maybe you don't have kids, but be praying for the VBS because every year it's an opportunity for these kids, number one, to hear the gospel. Um, the whole time is always hearing the gospel. Um, and then, but also we've heard many stories over the years of these kids then taking what they're hearing and learning home to their parents. And many times there's unbelieving parents of kids that come. Uh, uh, more than any other time, we tend to have visiting families at VBS time. Um, and so it's a perfect opportunity for that. So be praying. Uh, pray for the teachers, the helpers, um, and for the kids as well. So Malachi chapter 4, let's read it says, verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and, and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you uh, that your spirit has inspired men throughout history, has spoken to them, has uh, moved their hands, Lord, uh, to write down the things that we have here written so that we can know and understand and believe that these are not their words but yours, that you've written for us, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to us as believers uh, to uh, show us the truth of the scriptures, to lead us into that truth, to teach us, to guide us, Lord. And we pray as we look at your word tonight that you would do that. Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, uh, that you would open up these scriptures to our hearts and our minds, that we might have faith in you, in what you've written, trust you, and to obey, Lord, and walk in these things. We ask that you would bless tonight in your name. Amen. So, <clears throat> excuse me, for context, of course, uh, jump up to verse 18, Malachi 3. It says, Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So as we see in Malachi, uh, we've been watching, the Lord has had his issue with the people of Israel. He had his issue with the people in general. He had his issue with the relationships of the people. He had his issue with the Levites and with the priests. And he had his issue with uh, the, the people individually as well and in general. And, and we see that and we see this questioning, this going back and forth between the Lord and the people. And one of the, the last questions uh, that we see the people ask is in, uh, or that the Lord asked the people in verse 13, it says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. 
They even tempt God and go free. So we see the people there, they're complaining against the Lord. And the Lord says, that's uncalled for. It's unjust. It's not true. It's not correct. You said that it's useless to serve me. You're seeing the people uh, who do wickedly. And you say that, that there's no justice. There's no judgment. There's no righteousness. Right? And, and we see the people complaining against the Lord. Even though, as we've seen throughout Malachi, the people themselves were guilty of doing wickedly. They had a skewed concept of righteousness. They did not understand or truly uh, discern what the righteousness of God truly was and what God had called them to. And instead, they were going through the motions. They were, they were doing all these other things, but neglecting what God had truly called them to. And their perspective, their understanding was off and wrong to the point to where they were, they were blaming God for evil and wickedness that was happening. There was the remnant, like we looked at last week, where it says, verse 16, And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. And then we get to verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. So the people, there were people complaining. There were people saying there's no justice. But then there were people who truly understood who, who feared the Lord, who were meditating on his name, on his character, on his nature. And the Lord said, those are my people. They'll be my jewels. Um, and, and he will spare them, it says. And um, I was talking to Pastor Dan last week on this verse afterwards, and it just kind of jumped out at me many times. And I think even in one of my older Bibles, I have written down near this, that this verse talking about the Lord sparing the people speaks of the rapture. But when we look at the context here, what do we see? The Lord's dealing with Israel. When, and if we look forward into the prophetic timeline, what do we see in the end times when the Lord is judging the world and the nations? We see the Lord preserving for himself a remnant of Jews, 144,000 that are his jewels, his special, precious people that he set apart. They have a ministry of evangelism, but they have his, the seal of his name written on their foreheads, protected so the Antichrist and those who would come against them can do them no harm. Um, and that's what the Lord has, this preservation for his people. Um, and then we see at that time is when Malachi says, then you shall discern between the righteous and the wicked. Right now, you don't see it. You don't understand it. But when the Lord does come in justice, in righteousness, in judgment, then you'll truly discern how the Lord deals with men. He deals with their hearts. And he judges those who fear him with salvation, with sparing. And he judges those who uh, do not fear him with judgment, with justice. And that's what we then see in verse 1 where it says, Behold, the day is coming. That's a promise. The day is coming. Burning like an oven. Now, that word oven, uh, in some of the older translations, it'll say furnace. Um, in the Hebrew, it's actually not this giant oven. It's not a wildfire. It's a small little portable oven that was brought about to cook, to burn things, to heat things up. Hot, yes. Burned up, whatever you threw in there, yes. But it was contained and it was meant for a specific purpose. And that's what we see here. When we look, we see the day is coming. What day? I'd say the day of the Lord. When you look throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, you see the day of the Lord, spoken of a day of judgment. We see the day of Lord, the Lord describing the whole eschatological or end times, last things, um, view of God's plan where we see the rapture, we see the seven-year tribulation, we, we see the judgment upon the world being called the day of the Lord, his judgment and here Malachi says the day is coming and it's burning like an oven. But again, it's for a purpose. I mean, how beautiful it is it that we see there's judgment, there's justice. Uh, when you look throughout the prophets and throughout the scriptures and you see what the Lord does in judging the earth, it's horrific. Um, and, and there's there's death there's uh, plagues, there, there are all of these horrific things that take place on earth, but it's for a specific purpose. It's not just this wildfire that goes and burns up the entire earth and everyone is done and that's it. 
right? The Lord has his remnant. He has his purpose. When we see the judgment of the Lord on the earth, we see the Lord judging the earth to, number one, deal with injustice, deal with wickedness, deal with the people that have ultimately rejected his son and the salvation that he's brought. But we see it also, the Lord using it as a, a means of turning the people of Israel to repentance, to him for salvation. And in fact, in the scriptures, uh, the Lord says that uh, uh, he uh, would shorten those days of judgment on the earth. And if he didn't shorten those days, then all flesh would be burnt up, right? So even in this judgment, this ultimate judgment, there is where the Lord has his mercy and patience and justice, where he's dealing with the people who've rejected him, and yet there's a remnant, and yet there's the people that he's spared, that he's set aside. Um, And if we as Christians place our faith in Christ here and now, we're promised that we will uh, be, be hidden in that day of judgment. I believe that the rapture of the church will take place prior to the day of tribulation prior to the day of the Lord. And those of us who've placed our faith in him will be taken out of the picture as his bride uh, to be in the marriage supper of the lamb while the Lord is, is dealing out judgment on the earth and dealing now after the day of Gentiles dealing with his people, Israel and and those who've rejected him. Um, But even then we see again, we see the Lord as he's dealing with Israel. There's a remnant People who have trusted him, who turn to him. As we look at the end times, what do the scriptures say? Uh, when the Antichrist comes, he'll deceive the nations, deceive the worlds. He'll establish a or confirm a treaty of seven years with the people of Israel, a peace treaty. Um, and in, then in the middle of that time, he will then exalt himself in the temple, set up an idol to be worshipped the image of the beast. And it's at that point that the Jews who fear the Lord's name will see that idol being set up in this newly rebuilt temple and say, this is not the Messiah we thought he was. And then will flee. And it's at that point that they will realize that Jesus, who they rejected at his first coming, is the Messiah that they have been looking for all along. And the Lord uses that then to begin to save Israel. And to set them up again as being the nation through whom God blesses the entire earth as you look in the millennial kingdom. As you look at the reign of Christ and the things that take place there. Obviously, ultimately through Christ himself. But we see that the day is coming, burning like an oven. Um, We don't have time to go through all these verses, but I encourage you, write these down. Isaiah 2.12. Isaiah 13 9 so that's chapter 2 verse 12 and chapter 13 verse 9 Joel chapter 2 verse 1 through 11 Zephaniah chapter 1 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 through 10 and 2nd Peter 3 10 All of these describe the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is judgment, as fire, as it being a day of fire, a burning oven, uh, where the Lord deals with the world that has rejected him and with him, burning like an oven. Uh, And the Lord has promised that this judgment and justice will come. The people in chapter 3 said, uh, those who do wickedness are raised up, they tempt God and go free. And the Lord says, no, there's a day coming. There is a day coming, a day of fire, burning, a burning oven, um, and it's coming. And that's what he says. All the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. That word stubble is actually chaff. And chaff is the useless leftover part of the grain that's threshed out as the thresher is taking the, the heads of grain that they've reaped from the harvest and it's on the threshing floor and they take the winnowing fan, big spread out wooden rake-like fan and they lift up that pile of wheat, grains of wheat, and as they toss it in the air and the wind blows, the chaff is blown away. And it's just basically dust. You guys have heard of like uh, grain dust fires, right? 
There's some of the most explosive, dangerous fires out there is grain dust. It's what's left over as, again, grain is processed, same thing. Some, they say that's actually one of the most dangerous fires out there because it's instantaneously explosive. Um, and, and that's what is described as the wicked. Those who do, are proud and who do wickedly, they'll be stubble, burnt up like chaff. And it says, in the day which is coming shall burn them up. Pride uh, in, in the Hebrew language had three aspects. It says that they were proud. It speaks of presumption, presuming that you either know the Lord or that you have a better place uh, with the Lord or, or just in yourself than you actually do. Uh, I think of Satan. He's lifted up in pride and he presumed to be able to exalt himself above the name of the Lord, right? Presumption. And then rebellion or disobedience, pride speaks of that, rebelling against the Lord, against the Lord, setting forth boundaries, commandments, standards, the law, the conscience he's placed in every person's heart, rebelling against those things is being proud. And then it also speaks of having a willful decision. It's not unintentional. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident uh, when you do something wickedly. It's proud. It, uh, it's prideful, it's willful, it's a decision that you've made. And the Lord deals with pride. The people, they say those who do wickedly were raising themselves up. Um, the proud were being blessed, but the Lord says no. Those who do wickedly, those who are proud, who, who presume that they know me or presume to know better than I, those who've rebelled against me or disobeyed my commandments disobeyed the commandment to believe on my son those who've made that willful decision to rebel against me they're going to be burnt up like stubble like chaff says the lord of hosts and it says that will leave them neither root nor branch there's not going to be any chance of regrowth there's not going to be any chance of uh, uh, of regeneration but they're going to be burnt up now there are some who take this verse as they look at it and they say, the Lord here is talking about judgment, eternal judgment, as you relate it and look at context and, and then other verses throughout scriptures and, and reference these other verses, you say it's talking about judgment. And they'll take this verse that says that will leave them neither root or branch, and they'll then ex extrapolate and say, uh, people who are judged by the Lord then are annihilated uh, as their judge, where they're burnt, burnt up forever and destroyed. There's no existence of their soul any longer. I was just actually talking to a brother in the church who's uh, one of his family members said that uh, he believes in hell, he believes in judgment, he believes that, that people need to be saved, and he believes that there's no uh, ultimate um, universal salvation for the souls of men, but he believes that for a time people will be judged and we'll have this in this time in hell, but then they'll just be annihilated and gone. Um, but when you read the scriptures, when you look at all the context, you see, what does the Lord say? There's eternal fire, eternal punishment, eternal torment. You see that, that uh, like we looked at just on Sunday, the worm never dies. The fire is not quenched, right? Uh, it's not this thing where, like, it's not even like purgatory, I guess, but where you go into hell and, and then you're, you're tormented for a time and then the Lord releases you like you've paid your, your dues in hell. It's not like that at all. The scriptures teach that there's a resurrection to eternal life for every person. And that resurrection to eternal life is either eternal life separated from the Lord in eternal torment, punishment, fire, weeping, gnashing of teeth, the worm that never dies, or resurrection to eternal life with the Lord. And, and that's what we have in the scriptures. So we see eternal punishment. And so uh, like some people do, we need to be so very careful not to take one single verse, take it out of context and extrapolate this whole and build this whole theology on this. As you see, the Lord is coming. Uh, uh, the Lord here is saying that there is judgment there's going to be, uh, it's a final judgment that leaves them neither root or branch, but he's not saying their souls are destroyed forever. He's saying there's no coming back from this. It's a final judgment.
That's what the Lord is saying here. It will leave them neither root nor branch. And that's the judgment that we see. The day which is coming shall burn them up. Um, And that's what we see. You guys, the signs for the end times are all around us. We see the wickedness in the world. We see things breaking down. Um, Have you guys heard about AB5 in California? It's a bill going before, I think, the California Senate, um, where if it passes, over 70,000 truckers in California will no longer be able to have any business or any run their jobs. Essentially, they'll have to close up shop because they're going to be closing down uh, any independent contractors where it will be basically illegal for them to operate in the state of California. What does that do? That hurts our already hurting supply chain, food shortages, supply shortages, shutting down businesses, slowing down the economy, getting the world prepared for what the Bible says is going to be a one world economy ruled over by the Antichrist and his kingdom. And we're seeing that take place. We're seeing the love of many grow cold. We're seeing wickedness grow rampant. I mean, with this strange thing that took place where Roe v. Wade was finally struck down by the Supreme Court. Um, and we see that, which is a beautiful, amazing thing um, that, that, I mean, it's common sense. It was a bad ruling in the first place. But we see that take place. But now what are we seeing? People going to extremes in their ridiculous opposition to this thing being struck down um, to where even here in Washington State in Kenmore, I think it's Kenmore or Kenwood, uh, I just heard that a a pregnancy care clinic that helps pregnant women, mothers, takes care of them, uh, was vandalized just, I think, just today or yesterday. We're seeing that across our nation. We're seeing... uh, the church that is called to righteousness and holiness to proclaim the Lord in a dying world, becoming lukewarm like the church of Laodicea in Revelation, uh, uh, where the Lord just wants to spit them out of his mouth. Uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing everything in the world move towards what the end times are described as, as being like in the scriptures. And, and as we watch this take place, As we look at it, we need to understand for us, beautifully, that means the Lord's coming back soon for us, for the church, right? That's hope, that's grace, that's that's, uh, the love of the Lord for his bride, as we, we look expectantly for that. But the other part in our mind that we need to have, that understanding, is that those who don't have faith in the Lord are perishing. And for them, what's coming is not heaven, it's a day burning like an oven, Right? It, it's, it's, it's the Lord's punishment on the earth. That's what's coming for the world. And that should stir us up then to be sharing the gospel with those around us. Should stir us up to be, to be walking with the Lord in holiness, in righteousness, in, in dedication to him. To be those people who fear him. Who have a fear. I don't want to be that person that's burnt up like stubble. I want to be the person that the Lord hears me speaking about him. Meditating on his name. Be that person who my life is centered around him and walking with him. Where, where my life is built on that the Lord is, is righteous. He's holy. Uh, he's a God of justice. And he will judge those who are proud and wicked. And... and uh, if I have that understanding, that spurs me on then for holy living. That spurs me on for love towards my brothers and sisters in the church. That spurs me on to share the gospel. And that is what we need to have that understanding that the, the day of the Lord is coming. The wicked, the proud will be burnt up. But now is the, is the time of salvation. It's, this is the age of grace that we live in where the Lord has an open door for those who place their faith in him, where the Lord uh, is still saying that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you can be saved in this time. But there is a time coming where the the judgment will be falling on the earth. And there is a time coming where the Lord uh, will be dealing with uh, the people that have rejected him. And we do not want to be part of that, but we also 
uh, need to have that heart where we're, we want to see our loved ones who don't know the Lord come to salvation, to be sharing with them. Uh, it's going to be horrific. It says, uh, verse 2, beautifully, we see judgment, but verse 2, we see, but, again, to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Again, this is in contrast to those who are proud, those who do wickedly, as those who fear his name, who have the fear of the Lord, who trust in him, who have their faith in him. For the wicked, for the proud, it's a day burning like an oven. But for those who've placed their faith in him, it's the new day dawning. The sun of righteousness is rising with healing in his wings. Now, context here, we're looking at Israel, right? Malachi is writing to Israel. The Lord is speaking to Israel. And I believe that it will be just like that as Israel, who has now endured the the time of Jacob's trouble and the Lord's punishment upon them for their rejection of the Messiah and the world being punished and, and all of the things that we see take place in the time of tribulation. Then as they see their Lord, the Messiah, finally coming for them in justice, in righteousness, and in judgment for the world, it's burnt up like stubble. But for them, it, he is the son of righteousness that arises with healing in his wings the Messiah who reigns as their king, their savior, their redeemer, that they will see Jesus as he comes like that. It's the same for us, again, as we see judgment, as we see the Lord dealing with wickedness, dealing with sin. Uh, it, it's horrific for those who've rejected him, but for us who've placed our faith in him, we see the Lord arising with righteousness, that son of righteousness arising with healing in his wings. This is the only place that this uh, name is used. There are some who've said it only refers to the effects of righteousness in the world where righteousness kind of exalts and, and finally uh, has victory over evil. Um, but uh, I believe and, and others believe um, that this is specifically speaking of Jesus. Psalm eighty four eleven it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Isaiah 60 verse 19, it says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day. This is speaking of the end times. Nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. So elsewhere, Jesus is also referred to as the morning star. Revelation twenty two sixteen, 16, uh, Jesus himself says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. And then he says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the, pri the bright and morning star, he says. And then in Numbers 24, in that prophecy about Judah, uh, verse 17, uh, about Israel, that's Balaam as he's uh, attempting to curse Israel, but the Lord turns the words in his mouth into blessing. It says, I see him, speaking of the Messiah, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And then he says, a star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall arise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult, it says. Um, so we see two different sides here. To the Christian, to those of us who've placed our faith in him, he's the morning star. The morning star is that star that rises that you can see just before dawn in the darkest part of night before the sun rises. There's the morning star that peaks above the horizon and tells you that the sun is rising soon. For us as Christians, that's who Jesus is. As we see judgment coming, the day the world is getting darker and darker and darker. But for those of us who place our faith in him, the morning star rises, the church is raptured, and we know the day is coming soon. It's still night, but the morning star has risen, and we go to be with the Lord at that point. For those who are on the earth who've placed their faith in him, uh, then they see 
the son of righteousness rising then in the day of the Lord um, for the Jews who are fearfully, faithfully fearing his name on the earth, for those men and women who have resisted uh, the mark of the beast to worship him, for those who have chosen to place their faith in him in that time, uh, in, in the day of tribulation, Jesus, when he comes, will be that son of righteousness, the savior that comes to them. Uh, to the world, when Jesus comes, it's a burning oven. But for those that fear him, it's the rising of the sun after a stormy night. Uh, Matthew Henry, great commentator, uh, he pointed out from this verse, Genesis 19, 23. Um, and that's speaking of when Lot was in Sodom and the Lord came to Abram and said, I'm going to judge Sodom because their wickedness is so evil. Uh, you know, the homosexuality, the sexual wickedness, the, the pride, all of the things that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord said he was going to judge them. Right. And, you know, the whole back and forth that Abram had uh, Abraham had with the Lord. If there are 50 righteous men, will you spare the city? Yes, I'll spare the city. If there are 10 righteous men yet, will you spare the city? Yes, I'll spare the city. If there are five, yes, I'll spare them. And the Lord uh, says there's not that many in the city to be spared. And the Lord then sends his angels to get Lot and to take Lot and his family out of Sodom uh, so that he could judge them. In fact, the angels tell Lot, we need to leave because we can't judge the city until you're gone. And then when Lot leaves with his wife and his, his daughters, um, of course, we know the story. His wife turns back and turns into the pillar of salt. But his, his daughters and Lot, they make their way out to a city. The city's called Zoar. It's a little insignificant city. And what happens? 1923, it says, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord reigned down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So we see that just like for Lot, Lot, it's nighttime. There's the wickedness on the earth. The Lord takes Lot out of the picture, out of there. And, and then as he enters this place of refuge, the sun is rising, but there's judgment now falling on Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what we see in the end times in the scriptures and how the Lord deals with it. Um, uh, for us who've placed our faith in him, the Lord, he's that son of righteousness. It says he arises with healing in his wings. That word wings in the Hebrew, it speaks of rays. You see, it's the picture is the sun and the sun's rays where uh, he arises with that healing, where it, the healing comes from him. It's his light, right? John says that he is the light of the world and that light was the life of men. We see in the end times as the Lord comes, he stops uh, the Antichrist, he stops Satan, he stops the things that are taking place on the earth, um, the war against his people, um, and, and then as he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives and this mountain splits in two, then the river of healing waters begins to flow from the temple and from that place at the time, and the Lord uh, himself and his throne becomes healing for the nations um, and healing so in the time of judgment, there is healing with the Lord if we've placed our faith in him. If we fear him, there's healing from him. Um, and then we see this beautiful picture that goes in verse 2. It says, uh, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And it says, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked. Uh, and that picture there, if you can think of it, is like a calf. I, I, I've never raised livestock. Some of you may have. But you have a calf. Uh, my sister, she bought a, a, a cow a couple of years back. And they, that cow was a really funny cow, a little heifer. Um, and she uh, would go out in the field, and, and my nieces and nephews would go out to feed her or whatever. And this cow acted like a puppy dog. She would go and she would be jumping around in the field and had a little ball. She'd be kicking around and all of that. And that's the picture here is, is a calf that's been locked up, that's been chained up, kept in a stall, right? And then all of a sudden set free and set loose. And the calf is running out and it's, you know, trouncing around or whatever. And, and as there's the rejoicing, uh, there's the trampling of the wicked as ashes under the soles of the feet. Um, but you see that the picture here um, is not necessarily that the calf, that those who've placed their faith in the Lord, those who fear his name are now judging the wicked, but that 
the judgment has taken place because it says they're ashes under their feet, trampling the wicked as ashes under the feet. The burning fire has done its job. The Lord has dealt with wickedness, with the proud. He's dealt with them in judgment and their ashes, and, and then there's the rejoicing that takes place in the victory that God has done. Now, um, of course, that's, that's what we see throughout the scriptures, right? We, we're told in the scriptures we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and you know, these demonic forces in the world and the air. But, but we have to understand we're wrestling against these things and that we're, we're standing the ground in victory that the Lord has already won for us as we've placed our faith in him. He did the work for us on the cross. That's why Ephesians says we're now seated with Christ, right? We're seated with him in that he did the work for us, paying the price for us, fighting that battle for us. Now, we as Christians, as Paul says, we're to put on the whole armor of God so that we may stand against the enemy. And we stand and we resist. But as we see, of course, in the end times, as we see in the victory that the Lord does, that it's a victory that the Lord accomplishes it's not something that we do um and and we see that it's the lord who fights for his people what is interesting um and uh, we don't have time really a whole lot of time to go through it but i'd encourage you to kind of look up and look at fire and uh judgment and the lord dealing with people in judgment and what is interesting is as you see these pictures we see it in joel like i talked about it we see it uh, in Joel where uh, there's a strong people that come with fire and flame going before and behind them in destruction. And the Lord says this is his army. Um, Dan and I were talking about this before. Um, and, and we don't truly know fully what this army is. Where it talks about they go out like horses. They have an appearance like horses. Where they can run up walls and down walls. They can go through a city in, in a formation and not be harmed. Um, and everything, this, this fearful army. Um, and we see some correlation to what we see in, in the book of Revelation, uh, where it talks about these locusts, demon locusts from the pits that have this, this countenance. Um, so we see that. But there, you could also look at it, say, where the Lord says this is his army. Is this the Lord showing that, that his people are with him as he goes out in judgment? We see that in Jude. Chapter 1, verse 14, uh, where it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We see that where the Lord's people, his saints are with him as he does judgment, as he, as he uh, 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 practices his justice. Daniel 7, uh, chapter 10 through 11, we see uh, the Ancient of Days and his throne in heaven, and we see a fiery stream that issues uh, and came forth from before him, it says, and a thousand thousands ministered to him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And then the court was seated, the books were opened, and then it says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn, speaking of the Antichrist, was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. We see again the Lord's saints, those who stand before him, stand with them and see his judgment take place. And see it. Isaiah 13, 4 through 6, it says, The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like that of many people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. They come from a car, far country, and then it says, From the end of Heb, uh, heaven, the Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. And it says, Wail for the day of the Lord is as he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives as Jesus comes back and it's split in two on the day of his wrath. And it says he will come with all his saints in verse five of Zechariah 14. And that says the Lord will then judge uh, the armies that fight against Jerusalem as says their faces will melt off and their tongues will, will, will burn up. And it says that Judah will fight alongside the Lord in that day. Um, and we see that 
They're the, the Lord's righteous people, those who place their faith in him, his saints will be with him as, as, he, as he executes justice and judgment on the earth. But ultimately, Isaiah 63, it says, and this is the Lord speaking, he says, I have trodden the winepress alone, is what he says. And from the peoples, no one was with me. It's the Lord who does this, who executes judgment, who executes justice. I point out these verses because I thought it is, it's interesting to see that. And, and we don't know fully kind of what all of the interpretation of all of these different passages mean. But we do see that the Lord, he executes his justice, his judgment. Um, and his people, they see the Lord. Where is judgment on the earth? Why does the wicked persist? Why, why is evil allowed to continue to take place? Why uh, is uh, abortion able to continue to happen as babies are killed in the womb of their mothers? Why uh, does, does rape continue to take place? Why uh, is there injustice? Why is the church persecuted? All of these things. And we as Christians, we have a godly perspective. We know what the scriptures have told us. But still in our hearts, because the Lord has placed uh, his, the conscience in our hearts and his spirit in us, we're grieved by the evil and the wickedness that we see. But we can rejoice when we know the Lord has promised there will be judgment. There will be justice. Wickedness uh, will not last forever. The pride, the proud who've raised themselves up, the people who are in rebellion and presumption against the Lord, those who are, are willfully choosing to, to uh, turn away from him, the Lord will deal with them. And it's the Lord who does it. And we can trust him. That's a promise that we see, his promise that he will deal with them. And then we'll have that rejoicing to know that it's the Lord who's done that. The Lord has brought righteousness to the earth, uh, and he's brought his justice to the earth. Um, and that's what we see. Verse 4, it says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. So the Lord promises them there's judgment coming. If you fear him, there's, he's the son of righteousness. If you're proud and wicked and reject him, it's a day of burning oven. So what's the application? As people who are called by his name, they're told, remember the law of Moses, my servant, and uh, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Remember, and that word in the Hebrew, it doesn't speak of just think of, about it, but it speaks of thinking on it, remembering it, and doing it. There's the action that's tied into it. And that's the application for the people. It says, remember his law. Remember his statutes and judgments in totality. Don't set it aside. There's wickedness. There's pride. There are all these things. The day of judgment is coming. But for you, my people, the Lord says, be obedient to me. Be in my law in totality. Don't neglect any part of it. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that I've called you to holiness, righteousness, and set you apart. And that's the same for us. Um, I was reminded in this verse of what Jesus told his church, his disciples um, at the Last Supper, right? As he broke the bread and drank the wine and he said, do these things in remembrance of me. Um, and it, it's that same thing for us. We're to remember the Lord and what he's done for us and that he paid the price for our sins. He gave his body as a sacrifice for us. Uh, he uh, has gone before us to prepare a place for us where he, where he will take his church to be with him forever, to be with him. Um, and and uh, that also he will come back and will, where before he was the suffering savior, he will come as the ruling and reigning king, the Messiah, who executes justice on the earth. Uh, and, and to have that remembrance. And we as believers, the same thing. We need to be in the word. If we're not in the word, our perspective is off. If we're not in the word, we can look at, again, wickedness and all of these things, and we get depressed, we get uh, confused, we, we, we begin to grumble, complain against the Lord. Um, but we're, when we're in the word, we can see the Lord's promised he'll deal with them. The Lord has promised there's judgment. 
Um, when we're in the word, we can then uh, be like we're told in the scriptures where we're called to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. We can look at our hearts and our lives and see, am I walking with the Lord? Am I abiding in him? Am I his disciple where I am, I am obeying his word? Am I following him in totality? Or do I have these little segmented, sectioned off areas of my life that I'm not willing to follow him in? Am I doing these things? We're told to turn back to his word, to remain in it, to abide in it. And that is what we're called to. That's what the Lord called his people Israel to. And then we have this, this prophecy, verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I love that because there's the promise of judgment. But he says, there, here's, a, here's another warning sign. Here's a little thing for you to watch for, Elijah coming. Um, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, and we looked at this already, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, uh, we see that uh, John the Baptist, in fact, why don't you turn there real quick, just over a book, Matthew 11. Uh, we see John the Baptist here, um, and Jesus is speaking um, as John is uh, in prison, and he's hearing the things that Christ is doing, um, and he sends his disciples to ask, "Are you really the coming one? Are you the mess? Are you the the one who is coming that I was told to proclaim?" Um, and Jesus then sends his disciples back and says. Tell John all of these signs of the Messiah. I'm doing these things, right? Um, and then look at verse 7. It says, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, just noise. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. And then he says this, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way for you. And then he goes on to talk more about, excuse me, about John and his ministry. So we see Malachi 3.1. It says um, uh, that John the Baptist fulfilled this messenger that would come before uh, the uh, Lord, the Messiah, would come. And we see him fulfilling that. Isaiah 40, verse 3, it talks about the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And we know again from the New Testament that John the Baptist, uh, again, he fulfilled that prophecy. But um, uh, if you look at uh, John chapter 1, turn over there real quick. Verse 21. Uh, actually, look at verse 19. It says, Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did, did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Then he said, are you the prophet? Speaking of the prophet in Deuteronomy. Um, and he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Um, and then uh, we see that. So here, uh, John the Baptist, he says, I'm not Elijah. He says, I'm this voice crying in the wilderness pointing forward. Um, so we see that uh, fulfillment of John the Baptist, Malachi 3.1, the messenger who comes before, Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Um, 
But we, we see, and we would know as, as Christians, perhaps you've heard that, this passage is speaking of John the Baptist, of the Elijah who is to come, right? This book, uh, Malachi, was written after the Elijah that we read about in the Old Testament. Um, and so it's this future prophecy of coming. We see, of course, what happens with the Lord uh, in his prophecies in the coming of the Lord, where it's prophesied the Messiah would come. We have two comings. We have his first coming and his second coming. So we see John the Baptist who comes as an Elijah-type figure, and, and we see all these fulfillments that would, for us, point forward and say Elijah. But John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah. What's the answer? Well, turn to Matthew 11. I'm showing this to you because people will point out this as being a contradiction of Scripture. But Matthew 11 Verse 13, it says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And then Jesus says this, And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we see Jesus himself in seeming contradiction to what John the Baptist says. He says he's Elijah who is to come. But he puts this disclaimer on it. It says, If you're willing to receive it. And I would say to you that that's the key that we see. So the Lord, he sends John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist coming um, before the day of the Lord. Coming before the Lord comes in his first coming, where, where he is on the earth preaching repentance. To, calling the people to repent for the kingdom of the Lord is at hand. Um, calling the people out into the wilderness to do those things who is like Elijah. Um, and, and we see that. And for those who at that time were really willing to receive the message of John the Baptist, the testimony of John in the wilderness to repent, and the testimony that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that for them, they were willing to receive it as Jesus said. He was the Elijah who was to come and the first coming. And those who, who believed his message at that time then are this group of people who are now believers, who are Christians, who are, who are following him, who've listened to the message of Elijah at that time and who then experienced the salvation of the Lord. But we, again, as we see the second coming of the Lord, his uh, return, uh, we see this continued prophecy of an Elijah that will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And uh, those who did not receive the message of the first John the Baptist will then have this, uh, the first Elijah at that point, John the Baptist, will then have this second Elijah-type ministry preparing the way of the Lord. Revelation chapter 11, it talks about the two witnesses. Um, the two witnesses that the Lord sends have supernatural power. Fire comes out of their mouth as people try to kill them. They prophesy, cannot be killed, um, and, and, and they're there witnessing before the Lord. And uh, there are many who believe, and I, I would agree with them, that, that that is speaking of the Elijah that is to come, uh, one of them, before the Messiah comes again. The Jews themselves believed this prophecy that Elijah would come. And in fact, they set out on one of their holidays that they celebrate, they set out a, an extra chair at their table so that if Elijah were to come by, he might have a seat at their table um, and look forward to that. Um, but what is, what is the message of, of Elijah is a message of repentance. Go back to Malachi and we'll, we're almost done here. But it's a message of repentance. That was John's message was repent was uh, prepare your heart for the Messiah is coming. Prepare for him to come. And then as the Messiah came on the scene, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was John the Baptist's ministry. The second Elijah, it says, um, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Um, and that is... Um, Again, it speaks of repentance there. 
It's not just this speaking of reconciliation, but turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and love the hearts of the children to the faith of their fathers. Um, In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of a man to his neighbor. Speaking of, again, the love and faith that's practiced, it's in, again, repentance. It's in obedience to the Lord. It's turning their hearts away from wickedness and to repentance. And that's what that Elijah that will come before uh, uh, the Lord's return will be on the earth. And he will be, again, preaching repentance, preaching the gospel of the kingdom will be preaching to the Jews in Israel and Jerusalem that time and to the entire world, in fact, in opposition to the wickedness that comes. If you remember, if you look at the the account of the two witnesses in Revelation, you see that eventually, finally, the Lord allows them to be killed and the entire world rejoices so much they're giving presents to each other as their bodies are laying in the streets because they tormented the world with their message of repentance their message of righteousness to the world um and that's what that testimony will be um and that is what the lord does is he sends uh warnings he sends uh gives opportunity for repentance to the people before judgment comes um before judgment arises and he his desire is not to see people perish but to turn and to turn in repentance and walk with him. And that's the Lord's heart. Um, and in fact, that's what he ends with. He says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Um, this is a difficult thing. The last book of the Old Testament ends with the word curse. And that's what we see. After this time, as Malachi wrote, um, there were about 400 years of silence before John the Baptist, the next prophet, came on the scene. Um, And this was the Lord's last word. He says, remember the law of Moses. Be in the word. Don't forget, in totality, the statutes and judgments. Look for Elijah coming, who's going to herald the coming of the Messiah. And he will preach a message of repentance to turn. And, And those who do not turn, there will be a curse is what we see. Beautiful thing is that's not how our Bible ends, right? It doesn't end with the curse, the promise of a curse. But we see the next page over for us is we see the beautiful picture, the beautiful story of Jesus coming, incarnated as a baby, um, and coming on the earth and living the perfect life um, to become the perfect sacrifice as the God-man for our sins, to pay the price for us, to give us salvation. Whereas the Old Testament ends with a curse, we see, what do we see in the New Testament? Go to the very end of Revelation. We see verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things, John the Apostle, he says, oh, sorry, John, uh, Jesus himself is saying this. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. There's the promise. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And this is how our testament, the New Testament ends here. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The Old Testament ends with curse. The New Testament ends with grace for those who've placed their faith in him. And that's the promise we have. Now, again, There's judgment. The Lord's coming. The Lord is returning. Brothers, sisters, we need to have our our life in order. We need to set things right with the Lord. If we have hidden sins, we need to repent of them. We need to confess. We need to let them go, lay them aside. Uh, If we haven't placed our faith in the Lord, if you're here tonight and you haven't done that, perhaps you've just been faking, you need to do so. You need to place your faith in him. Trust in him. He's paid the price for your sins. Um, and walk with him. Don't pretend any longer. Don't, don't be that person who's just an act. But, but be genuine in the Lord and trust in him. Um, and, and walk with him in, in newness of life. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come 
as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And then he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we're called to look forward. We see the signs of the times. We see the day of the Lord that's coming as a thief in the night. For those of us who place our faith in him, it won't come as a thief in the night. It won't catch us unawares because we'll be with him. We're looking for his return. But we are to conduct ourselves knowing that the earth is going to be burnt up. Right? We're told, store up for ourselves the uh, treasures in heaven and not on earth. Right? We're to live our lives understanding that the earth, the wickedness, the evil, even the things that appear good to us, the normal things, the, just our, our daily lives, the treasures, all of those things will be burnt up um, and will not last. But if we store up treasure in heaven um, and, and if we're conducting ourselves in holiness and godliness, looking for his returning, um, then we'll be pleasing to him and we have the, those eternal blessings and treasures that we have stored up in heaven that he's promised for us. Um, and we walk with him. Uh, and that's what the Lord has called us to. So as we see the times, as we see the signs of the times, um, we need to not lose heart, but we need to look forward to his return. We need to preach the gospel to those around us and we need to walk in holiness and godliness. And that's what the Lord's called us to. So let's pray.